Well, good morning, church. My name is Chris. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at MetroLife Church, and it's a privilege to have you with us today. If I've not had the opportunity to meet you yet, I look forward to doing so afterwards in the lobby. And that's going to be a brief time today because we have something that we've implemented new this year. It's called our Fall Kickoff Lunches. Uh, if you're here today and you're in that age range of 30, uh, 36 to 60, uh, you're welcome to join us. If you're outside of that age range, you're welcome to join us. Uh, we had a wonderful start to these fall kickoff lunches last Sunday with those who are in the 18 to 35 age range. And just the feedback to hear from them, uh, to be able to share with them some of the things going on in the church, it was just a wonderful time together. And I hope that even if you haven't made plans to join us, we've made plans for you to be able to be with us. Uh, So please take the time this afternoon. We have another lunch next Sunday for those who are 61 and up. Uh, I would imagine they're going to all have the, the, I I know that they're going to all have the same content. I'm not preparing something new for each lunch, but I would imagine they'll each look and feel a little different. And uh, that's really something that we're looking forward to as a leadership team. So our elders and deacons will be at these lunches to be able to meet and interact with you and to allow us to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, Now, I've introduced lunch, which means we have to have a short sermon, right? Uh, That's how it works. Actually, we have have a meal before that lunch that we're going to get to in just a few moments in communion. But would you turn in your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? We're finishing out chapter 1 today. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're new, we're uh, just getting started into a series in the book of 1 Peter that we have been called to follow. We have been called to follow. That's the title of the series. And, and this morning, as we continue into these chapters, I, I was reflecting on this quote by Mark Twain. He says this, most people are bothered by those passages in the Bible which they cannot understand. But as for me, I always notice that the passages in Scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. And today, we find ourselves in that same spot, don't we? He's commenting on this passage that we're talking about, but the question that we're all faced with is, what are we going to do about it? Well, Peter invites us as individuals. Peter invites us as the gathered church right here this morning, known as MetroLife Church. He asks us to take three specific steps that we would love, remove, and crave. Let's look at those together as we begin reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. The flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it leads and guides us, it instructs us in the way of life, not just life everlasting that we have to look forward to in the consummation of your kingdom here on earth, but life abundantly in the day-to-day. Lord, instruct our hearts as we submit ourselves to your word, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. You know, as we've been through this series, we've seen two key themes begin to draw out in 1 Peter's writing to these scattered believers. Those who have been brought in and yet are sent out. See the theme of suffering, that they're going to face hostility, they're going to face trials, that they're going to face opposition because of their faith. And we see that they're called to personal holiness in the midst of that. It's one of those tensions that we live in in the Christian life, isn't it? As we are a part of a kingdom that is already and yet not yet, we find ourselves facing this hostility. But he also calls us to personal holiness. And last week we began to look at what that looks like for us as individuals. This week Peter's shift uh, a little bit to where he's looking at us as a community. And so this morning we're actually looking at these three steps as a part of the gathered church, as a part of a Christian community. Now it's easy for our world around us today to say we long for community. I think that there is a part of us that was designed for community. We see this oftentimes on things like what was on yesterday afternoon in college football. Community gathered together, rallying around one central theme. We might see this in other areas of life by things that you're interested in, kind of trade associations. There's this sense that I'm interested in that, you're interested in that, well, we're in community together. But what is it that marks a Christian community? Well, it's not just that Christ is at the center of it. It is things about that community that are distinct and different than the world around it. In other words, this is not a social gathering this morning. We have the opportunity to socialize with one another, but this is a gathering of those whose lives have been purchased at a great cost. Blood-bought gathering, if you will. In other words... Peter is talking to the people of God and saying, when you're together, this is what should be distinct amongst you. Well, where does he start? He tells us to love one another. Now, he begins with an interesting phrase. He says, because of your obedience to the truth. And that may be one of those wrestling points. It says that having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. It'd be helpful here to just explain that a better rendering of that phrase may be because of your obedience in believing. In other words, you have received the good news. What is that good news? That we need a Savior. That we need Jesus. Without Him, we can't stand in the presence of the One who calls us to be holy. Why? Because He is holy. Our obedience in believing that we would receive this good news and say we are going to make it our own. We're going to make it a part of our identity, a part of the very core of who we are. No longer are we going to try to identify with these different trades or associations in this world, these affinity groups, if you will. No, we're going to identify with a kingdom that is above this earth, that this earth is submitted to and groaning to be what it was created to be. That's what Scripture tells us about this world that we live in. We can identify with the kingdom that the world is groaning to, to return to. That's good news for us today. But it's also important for us to realize that what we are talking about here is clearly the pursuit of those Christian lives, not a new pathway to salvation. It's important that we get that right. If we think of our love, if we think about the things that we reject, if we think about the things that we give ourselves and devote ourselves to as a pathway to salvation, we have the gospel entirely backwards. We are to see these things as the pursuit 
of this new life, not a pathway to salvation. So love one another. That seems easy enough, right? Have you ever tried it? I mean for an extended period of time. I mean something beyond tolerate one another. Bear with one another. Sit next to one another. No, love one another. And then he spells it out for us so that we don't, we don't get left wondering. He spells it out for us. Love each other sincerely. Why would that be important? Well, there needs to be an authenticity to our love because that is how God loves us. There is no lack of sincerity in the love that God has for us. So as a reflection of his character to those around us, there should be no lack of authenticity in the way that we love others. We should love each other sincerely. Those are the words that are used here. Purified your soul for a sincere brotherly love. We're to love fervently. We're to give our strength to this. We begin to see how this is kind of the outplaying of the devotion that we have to God himself. We're to give our strength to loving one another. And we're to love one another with a pure heart. That pure heart. How many of us can claim that on our own? How many of us are just born inherently with a pure heart? We love to think of the innocence at birth, and yet what Scripture testifies is all of our actions are shot through with sin, and we need a Savior. How is it that we can love from a pure heart? Well, it's because we have received the purity that God provides for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what sets us apart and is distinctive about a Christian community. We can love one another with a pure heart. Our love must come from God, and our purity in our love comes from Him as well. He is the source not only of our salvation, but of our strength and our ability to love one another rightly, to apply this kind of love in a way that doesn't fall to the left or to the right, in a way that falls off to the temptations of the day or the, the emotions of the day, those days when we just don't feel like loving. We can love one another with a pure heart. We're actually commanded to do the very thing that gives evidence to the unbelieving world of the genuineness of our Christian expression. I, like you, have been affected in the last couple of weeks with some of the baptisms that we've had the opportunity to witness. To hear Nevaeh's story as she's sharing her salvation story, to hear the prayers of her grandfathers. Oh Lord, bring more of that. What is happening there? There's an expression. There's a profession of Christian faith. Our love is what gives evidence to that, the genuineness of that profession. But more importantly, it gives a visible testimony of what the Father did for us in sending his Son to accomplish salvation for sinners. You know, it can be very easy for us to get caught up in the world's definitions of love. But, but I want to just kind of illustrate for us how important this is in the life of the church. This morning we had two kind of prophetic moments in ministry. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that that is something that is to be pursued, that it, the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. 
that they're intended to build up and encourage the church. And I trust that through worship, you find your souls built up and encouraged. Whether you were the one having something that needed to be prayed for you or you had the opportunity to pray for others, our souls in those types of moments in ministry can be built up and built into one another. More than that, you may know what your neighbors are walking through now. You may know how to pray for the people that are sitting around you a little more specifically as you carry them on your heart throughout the rest of this week. Love is so important that in the midst of the use of the spiritual gifts as defined in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, it becomes the point of those spiritual gifts. Love. Do you think that Darren or Debbie, as they're leading in those prophetic moments, are thinking about this, I'm here to tolerate this church, Lord, what do you have on your heart for them today? Lord, help me just endure these people of yours so that I can share with them how much you love them. And yet, how often is that our perspective when it comes to the gathering of the church? How often is that our perspective when it comes to going to community groups? How often is that our perspective when we treat the church as if it's the first thing that can be eliminated from our calendar when life gets busy? The genuineness of our love are tested in those moments, aren't they, church? Let me ask you a question. In the spiritual gifts that you have as an individual, are they increasing your love not only for God but for his church? And let me caution you before you answer Because if they're not, you may be operating in the wrong spirit. This should sober us. It should cause us to examine our hearts very closely. See, the point of those spiritual gifts, the point of this Christian community, is that there would be an increase in love for one another. So how is your heart measuring up today, church? Do you find an increase in this love for the Lord, for his people? Or do you find yourself operating in a wrong spirit? I point this out as something that's important because as 1 Peter goes on, he's going to quote not only something that's referenced in James chapter 1, but something that we see explicitly in Isaiah chapter 40. He anchors this in something that is enduring forever. It's not our ability to love. It's not our ability to conjure some emotion for other people. It's not in our ability to mask a tolerance for one another. What is it rooted in? He says this. All flesh is like grass. It's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails. In other words, you and I are not eternal. What is eternal? He says it just before in verse 23 at the end. The living and abiding word of God. Now that is what prophecy is weighed and measured against. That is what the spiritual gifts are to point us back to. It is to point us back to Christ and his word. But because his word is what is living. His word is what abides. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 puts it this way. Love never comes to an end. It's eternal. It's shown to us in the pages of this word. Love goes on forever. You know, there's going to come a day when my prayer is, That this Bible, with my preaching notes in it and highlights and study, is handed down to generations. Because this will abide forever. I will not. 
My prayer oftentimes at the end of a Sunday sermon is, may your people forget whatever I added wrongly to your word today. I don't know a single pastor that doesn't have that prayer. Why? Because our words will fail. This word never will. Church, let's have a high value of the word of God. And let's let that inform us how it is that we are to love one another. What else marks a Christian community? What else is the distinctive of a Christian community? Well, it removes the sins that destroy community. This is a safeguard. This is something that is protective. We're moving into verse 1 now of chapter 2, but you may not think of something as removal as something that's healthy for community. I thought that the church was just supposed to be welcoming and opening its doors. That's true. But there is a clear line that defines the people of God. It's not only love, it's that there is a rejection of that which is not of God. It removes the sins that destroy community. In other words, if you continue conducting yourself according to your formerly passions, it suggests that your hope is not really in God, that your hope may be in something else. Let's look at some of the things that are mentioned here. Put away all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy and all slander. These are things that destroy a church. These are things that go against Christian witness. We don't have to look far in the world around us to see how these things destroy Christian witness. But I'm not here to talk to the world today. I'm going to talk to Metro Life Church. I want to talk to us for just a minute. The kinds of sin that as a gathered church in our ministries, in our serving teams, in our community groups, that we are to lay aside, that we are to cast off malice, any sense of wickedness, anything that there's this depravity that just remains malice. It's not something that is often accused today, but it, it speaks of something utterly evil. That's what we have been saved from. So we are to reject that. What about deceit? falsehood or lies or facades and you may think you know what I've not told a lie my question is this have you told the truth let me drill into it a little bit more in community group have you not told a lie by keeping your mouth shut but you've stopped short of telling the truth of what's really going on with you What else? Hypocrisy, play acting, faking it, trying to act like something that we're not, trying to fake it till we make it. Church, let's be genuine with one another. Let's not put on a happy face when we walk into one another's homes. Let's be real with one another and let's receive of the mercy and the kindness of one another. Remove the sins that destroy community. How about envy? Oh, I'm not a Christian like they are. And then it begins to build into this jealousy, into this lack of contentment, into coveting what somebody else has. How often can this happen even with giftedness? 
Maybe you're here and you want to serve on the worship team. Maybe you're here and you want to grow in your spiritual gifts. And all of a sudden what you're doing is you're comparing to others rather than rejoicing in the gift that God has given you. I'm not saying don't grow and improve. What I'm saying is rejoice that God has called you and gifted you in any way at all. See, there are times that what we do is we put a limit on something rather than rejoicing that we have a foundation to build on at all. That's a gift of God. That's a Holy Spirit-given gift to us. I wonder if it's helpful for us to think of it this way. For us to reject these sins is a form of corporate spiritual warfare. What do I mean by that? Well, all of these forms of sin, they deal with that which is untrue. Sin is always deceitful. Sin is always untrue. God is the source of truth, but Satan is the source of untruth. We should see this as spiritual warfare, not just some sin-sniffing church that's trying to find each other doing wrong and pointing fingers at one another. What we realize is this is spiritual warfare. We have an enemy beyond the person that we're seeing something going on in. There is an enemy of my soul and an enemy of your soul. We have a common enemy of our souls, and so we should see this as a form of corporate spiritual warfare. It's not like we have to look back in our own lives to see the deceit of the, the deceitfulness of sin, but we can also look back in redemptive history and realize that Satan has shared lies and deception and half-truths with mankind going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. This is spiritual warfare. So let me make it a little bit more practical for us so that we don't just think of this thing where it's like, here we go, spiritual warfare. I don't think I'm that person. Uh, can I fight in the hospitality team? No, we are all called to this. Hospitality team included. Live stream team, tech, ushers, truth quest. All the other serving teams I can't think of off the top of my head. How about we put it into the context of community groups? What lies might we be tempted to tell in community? How about those moments when you say everything's fine? Everything's fine in my life. Well, I don't really need community. I don't really need community. We were designed for community church. It's really not about your opinion in that moment. It's about your design. It's about how you've been made. And yet when we put our thoughts above God's thoughts, we see the dangers of that spelled out for us in Scripture. Don't buy that lie. I don't need community. You need community all the more if you're buying that lie. How about we have this mentality that I've got it figured out, so here's the thing. I'm only going to share anything going on in my life from a standpoint of victory. I've been in a community group like this before. It's frustrating. You realize they're that... You, you either are or you know that person in your community group. It's like they're never currently struggling with anything, but about six months ago, God did something amazing in their lives. You know this person? If you don't, you might be that person. I only share from the standpoint of victory because victory is in Jesus. Yes, I'm struggling with this right now, but six months from now, when I've overcome that, I'll share that too. That's a lie. That is an un truth church don't give in to that lie what lies are you tempted to tell what about the lie that says well these these folks they have plenty going on there's enough going on in their own lives i, I don't need to share my burdens 
Oh, the community of Christ is called to share one another's burdens, to bear one another's burdens. Don't buy the lie, church. What about this? I am in a community group that everybody has it all together. What could I possibly say that would help them in their Christian walk? How about this one? They won't notice if I'm not there. Why don't we just take a moment and do something right now? Just look around you. Just look around you. It's okay. It's not awkward. I told you to do it. (laughs) All right, it's a little awkward. That's my love language. What are the faces you don't see? Who are the people that aren't down the row? And how can you today let them know, I noticed you weren't there? Just take a moment now. Text them right now. Pull your phone out. Text them right now. I love you. I noticed you weren't here today. How can I be there for you? It's okay. Go ahead. This is the one time I'm going to tell you, pull your phones out and not open up a Bible app. Church, let's be disintentional with combating that lie. I noticed you weren't there today. I love you. Don't buy the lie that no one will notice. Let's be that intentional of a church so that we can not only combat the lies going on in our heart, but through our actions, through our love, through our rejection of lies and untruths, we can help combat the lies that others may be facing as well. See, we are called to enjoy a life of truth, of love, and of fullness, which means that we have to cast off evil. And the way that God liberates us from an evil desire is to give us a more and more and ever-increasing vivid image of what Christ can do in our lives. Do you realize that the text that you just sent might be the way that someone sees a more vivid image of the living Christ in their lives today? There's something wonderful about that, isn't there, church? What if we all lived like that every day of our lives? In other words, the fulfillment that you may feel in your own heart for just saying, I'm so glad Chris said to do that today, you can enjoy that experience any day of this week. When the Holy Spirit brings a brother or sister to your mind and you just reach out to them and let them know, I love you, I miss you, how can I be there for you? There is wonderful good that can happen in that moment. But imagine this as a part of spiritual warfare. You are combating the lies of the enemy. In your own heart and in the heart of your brother or sister. See, even as we began to see last Sunday, the closer we come to Christ, the more he replaces our desires with his desires for us as his people. Lastly this morning, what is it that is a mark of the Christian community? Well, so far we've seen that there is a love that we have for one another. We see that there is a removal of sins that destroy the community. And lastly, there is a craving for pure spiritual nourishment. Look at verses 2 and 3 together. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As we turn away from evil... 
We have to take this last step of repentance. We turn to God. Remember that the Christian life is not just a life of rejection. It is a life of accepting as well. Accepting this new identity. Accepting this salvation that is offered as a free gift to us. Turning to God and accepting that we can be back in his presence full of faith and confidence as scripture testifies. We don't just turn away from evil, we turn to God. Not only we turn to God, but we do so aggressively. We run after it. See, last week as we were talking about personal holiness, not just being set apart, too many of us treat personal holiness as if it means being set aside, not set apart. Set aside, benched, something that we can't have any pursuits anymore. Something that means that we can't have a life more abundantly, that we can't enjoy even some aspects of the world around us. Set apart doesn't mean set aside. No, it means that there is a devotion to something far greater than anything that we will ever experience in this life. This last year, this last week, excuse me, on Monday, Stephanie and I celebrated our 25th anniversary. I can't believe she's let me live this long. Actually, I found out on Monday, she said, I was surprised you didn't mention our anniversary yesterday. It was actually in my notes. I cut it for time. And then on our 25th anniversary, I realized I cut the wrong illustration. The first lady had an expectation. Yes, she still hates that I call her the first lady. And yet I still do it. Can I say this? You don't make it to 25 years on the feeling of love alone. You make it to 25 years and the years beyond by being devoted to one another. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, church. We got into one doozy of a conflict on our 25th anniversary. Standing on Main Street in Disney World. It was not the most magical place on earth in that moment. (laughs) There was the question of whether or not we would even stay the day. But there was never a question if we would stay together. I remember, I don't recommend this comment, but it's one I've made frequently. Baby, we can argue for free at home. And then I had this business idea. I told her as I was testing to see is their conflict over, I said, you know how there's these t-shirts that say most expensive day ever? I'm going to make a new one. It's just going to say most expensive conflict ever. She thought it was funny, which meant that conflict was over. But I don't recommend using humor as the way that you test to see, uh, because it's it's not always worked out great for me. (laughs) Something I have learned in those years, even when we don't see one another's perspectives, we have to articulate to one another, I'm not going anywhere. We will work through this. We will grow and change. And we will still be together. Do you know that that is 
not a perspective informed by Stephanie or Chris being good at marriage. That is a perspective informed by the way that God treats us as his children. He will never leave or forsake. That is good news for us today. Devotion to God is something that we can pursue as we are craving pure spiritual nourishment. We all crave spiritual nourishment, don't we? We all sense that, that longing in our hearts. I asked Ella for permission to share this with you. She has a tremendous fear of expired foods in our home. It's an expensive quirk. Milk, especially. I'm going to put it to you this way. The best buy date means nothing to her if she doesn't remember when we bought it. It could be four days away. But if she thinks we bought it last week and that's four days away, that milk is bad. Perhaps you have a similar kind of concern about the milk that you drink. Is it pure? You don't want to find out in that first bite of your cereal, in that first sip of your coffee. That's a terrible moment. Is it pure? How do you test it? Well, you look at the expiration date. Or if you're like Napoleon Dynamite in that movie, you can taste it and see. Oh, this one has been in the onion patch. I don't even want to know what that kind of milk tastes like. That seems disgusting to me. We are to seek pure spiritual nourishment, which means what? We have to be able to test for purity. What is the test for purity? I'm going to show you right here. These 66 books are the test of purity. Does it add up to this? It's pure. Does it take away from this? Not pure. Does it add something on top of this? Not pure. Does it align with this? Pure spiritual nourishment. Let me speak to the community groups again, the ministry teams, the gatherings and serving teams. Don't add, don't take away, be found in measure with the Word of God. This is how it is that we know the purity of the spiritual nourishment that we are seeking. See, the pure milk of God's Word is truth as opposed to the evil or the non-truths or the half-truths that we're called to put off. And just like newborn babies, we have that craving, that desire for the pure milk and nourishment spiritually of the Word of God. What is the fruit of having love for one another? What is the fruit of removal of sins that destroy? What is the fruit of craving spiritual nourishment? First Peter tells us it is growth. It is growth. We can grow up in our Christian community. This is a question I ask often about our church. God, where is it you are calling us to grow up as a church? Where is it that you're calling us to mature as a people in your presence? Peter's saying that all Christians, regardless of your maturity, should passionately crave the same word that saved you. Keep 
longing for the same word that saved you. Why? So that you can grow into this salvation. So that you can grow into what you have been redeemed for in the first place. Unadulterated milk, without deceit, pure, is going to help us to grow. Impure milk might be harmful or stunting to our growth. Isn't it sad, church, how readily available impure milk is? Weigh, test, and measure. See, as Peter talks about growing, he's talking to us about tasting as well. And before we crave, before we deeply desire spiritual milk, we have to taste and see that the Lord is gracious. In other words, tasting precedes craving. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? We all long for spiritual nourishment. The question is, where will you turn today to satisfy those cravings? Where will you turn today to satisfy those longings? See, Christ calls us to turn to Him and be satisfied. Psalm 34 is where this phrase, taste and see, comes from. It says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. David, in this moment, is celebrating the goodness of God in physical rescue from someone pursuing him, but he is making a spiritual connection in that moment. He is making a connection that it is God who provides salvation for us. It is God who is the one that we can take refuge in. It is God who is the one who gives us spiritual nourishment. Church, who are you turning to today? Turn to God. Turn to him and taste and see that the Lord is good. 